Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day. Remember, the text line is always open. You can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. You can tell me, you know, where we are, what we're doing, where we're going, what, what we have planned for the day. Mm-hmm. Love to uh, love to know where you are and how you're listening and, yeah, all those good things. Uh, 877-933-2484. All right, uh, here at the top of the hour, we are going to choose humility we are going to choose hospitality, and we are going to choose health. Those are my three teases. Choosing humility. Yesterday, former President Trump was found liable for the um, sexual abuse, inappropriate touching, and defamation of um, a woman named E. Jean Carroll in 1996. And so um, you will notably hear in the news that he was not found liable for rape. And you're going to say the word liable is strange to me in this context. Well, that's because the um, the criminal statute of limitations has passed. And so this is not uh, guilty and not guilty is reserved for criminal cases. Liable or not liable is the language in a civil case. So that's what we're looking at here. Um, the former president has been ordered to pay uh, E. Jean Carroll $5 million in compensatory and punitive damages, although an appeal is already um, in the works. Choosing humility might be the uh, uh, right approach here. James 1, 19 and 20, let us be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Um, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So however you are feeling in relationship or response to this particular civil verdict, um, it's hard for any of us from the distance which which we're actually living to know for certain the truth of the matter. And so um, let us be people who indeed are quick to listen and maybe slow to speak. Title 42. So now I'm going to get to, we're talking about choosing humility. Let's uh, now talk about choosing hospitality. Here's the reality of the situation. Title 42 Um, which has been the key tool used by the United States to turn migrants back at the U.S. southern border, is going to expire tomorrow. That is going to happen. And when it happens, um, there are hundreds of thousands of people streaming in the direction of the U.S. southern border, tens of thousands of them already staged to cross it. And so they're coming. Like, they're coming. And so... While, yes, it is absolutely essential that at the national level, um, Congress and the president do something, that's absolutely essential. And while it's absolutely essential that people in border states prepare, it's also essential that the rest of us 
have a spirit of hospitality. Like, people are coming. And they literally have nothing but what they're carrying. And so even as, yes, we have to figure out as a country how to secure our southern border, we also, as Christians in the culture today, uh, are going to have to be prepared to offer hospitality to strangers in our land, um, not only the ones who have already arrived, but those who are headed our way. And so let's just go ahead and choose hospitality. And then finally, on the choose health front, uh, here's a headline for you. Women should start getting screening mammograms at the age of 40, not waiting until 50. Why is that? Well, because there has been a rise in breast cancer in younger women. And so um, women between the ages of 40 and 74 should be screening, having screening mammograms every two years. And as a person who has lost friends um, to metastasized breast cancer, um, I'm going to say today to every woman listening, please choose health. All right. Did you hear about the star that ate a planet? No. Did you hear about the kid who found a mammoth tooth? No. Well, you're going to hear about him next. Heather Zeiger joins us here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is back. She's a freelance science writer out of Dallas, Texas. She's a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You can um, check out the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity and certainly their conference that's coming up this June, cbhd.org. Heather, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, can we start with a, a star ate a planet? And I learned this week, yeah. eventually, that is the fate of the Earth. What? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the New York Times reported this. There were some astronomers in, Pol- uh, in California at the Palomar uh, Observatory, and they were looking at other things, and then they saw about 12,000 light years from Earth a Pac-Man. star. They saw Pac-Man. Yeah, they essentially saw Pac-Man, a star that was in kind of the red dwarf phase. So that's kind of the dying phase of the star where it gets it gets, starts getting really big and it engulfed a big old planet just uh, about the size of Jupiter. It's so crazy. Okay, and so yeah. then in conversation, my husband says, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, short of the return of Christ, like, but eventually that's the fate of the earth. Apparently the sun is going to eat the earth. It may very well eat the earth one day. We're talking (laughs) billions of years in the future, but it could. Oh, I know. But I am assured that like life on earth will have not existed for some period of time before that. So it's not like the earth will be eaten by the sun while people are inhabiting it. Like it's not, we won't see Pac-Man coming. Like we won't see it coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, All right. A, a, A kid found a tooth in a creek at his grandma's home and it turns out it's a mammoth tooth. Like this is quite a little discovery. Yeah, this is like the this is like the fantasy of every kid ever. Okay. Right? So this nine year old boy, Jeremy Longbreak, he's playing in the woods outside his grandma's house. It's in southern Oregon, and he finds this rock that he thinks looks pretty cool. He takes it home. His mom's like, I don't know, this looks kind of weird. And she posts it on Facebook because she has friends that are into this kind of stuff. And they're like, actually, that looks like a tooth. Turns out archaeologists confirmed, yeah, that's a 10,000-year-old woolly mammoth tooth. (laughs) Importantly, Carmen, Jeremiah says he might keep the tooth for a little while, and then he might donate it to a museum. He for sure will not give it to his brother. 
<laughs> it's good. There's wisdom. There's a child with some yeah. wisdom, right? I just yeah. feel like this is good inspiration for summer exploration. I feel like at my yeah. house, you have a really good chance of finding um, arrowheads, really, really like high percentage chance of finding arrowheads if you get out there and search. I will say yeah. that in the river behind our house, more times than not, what my kids bring home are people's um, iPhones. Oh, my goodness. Wow, you I can think make a business like, out retreat. of that. Well, no, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're horribly dead and waterlogged. Yeah. Like they come out of the bottom, like people lose them. They go kayaking, they lose their phones. They all end up on our gravel bar. Wow. I know. There you go. I know. It's quite the, it's quite the thing. All right. Um, how about a brain decoder? What? Yeah. So this was um, some interesting news. So there's new research that came out of the University of Texas in Austin, and it's shown that with a lot of training, scientists can use something called functional MRI to read, quote unquote, read a person's thoughts. Now, that's not exactly what's going on. They're not reading people's minds. The technique actually only works once people have spent hours training the MRI system so mm. that the system knows what parts of the brain light up while they are looking at, um, or I'm sorry, listening to podcasts or looking at silent movies. So it's important to note that first, the system has to be trained on a particular person. What's interesting about the system is it's using very similar technology that ChatGPT uses. So it kind of combines MRI with ChatGPT. So, um, and, and look, if you look at the tra comparison of the transcript of the podcast that the the participants listen to and what the decoder produced, they're not exact, but it is really interesting that you're getting the gist of what is happening. So like from an ethics standpoint, the big question is, okay, can this be abused? Can you like read people's thoughts? And the short answer is no, because the decoder didn't work on people who hadn't trained it. In other words, it only works to a specific person who has trained it. So where is this helpful? This is helpful for people who maybe have disabilities where they are unable to communicate or to speak. So the idea is that we can train these coder, decoders to then help them communicate. So anyway, really cool science, but also not quite reading people's minds yet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, there is this like coming intersection, it feels like, between science and science fiction on this on yeah. this front, on this not just AI front, but like beyond artificial intelligence to something beyond it. Like the people who actually think yeah. that some, the day is going to come when they their their whole brain could be digitally uploaded. Like it feels like this is a part of that larger conversation. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's the actual science, and then there's kind of that hopeful, wishful thinking, putting your hope in something that probably isn't going to happen. So, uh, yeah, you got to kind of parse that out. So that's the transhumanism conversation. And I do think, Heather, that at some point in the future, we should we should talk about the things that the transhumanists yeah. um, are talking about, because I think that when we talk about uh, the ethics in relationship to, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to live a distinctively human life? And then, you know, why would I hope to outlive what God has created. Like there's all of that. So maybe on a future mm -hmm. time, we can actually just take up a broad conversation about transhumanism. We're talking with Heather Zeiger. Um, today, we're just covering a range of headlines. We're gonna, Next, we're going to talk about research methods. When I say to yourself that we research something and our research, you know, found these things, uh, how, do you, how do you trust that the methods that were used are actually like legit? 
Heather's going to help us understand that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Continuing our conversation with Heather Zeiger, you ought to check out the uh, um, the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, cbhd.org. They've got a, a conference coming up this summer. You can attend in person or online, cbhd.org. You're looking for conference 2023. What's gonna um what what are you taking up at the conference this year, Heather? Yeah, so this conference, we are going back to that first conference theme, the Christian stake in bioethics. So bioethics is everything from like abortion to stem cells to cloning to euthanasia. So Christians have a lot to say in that topic. That's awesome. Um, where Where is the conference located for people who might be thinking about attending in person? Sure. It's on uh, Trinity International University campus. So Trinity is just north of Chicago in Deerfield, Illinois. So if you are in that area, it's a lovely place to go to the conference. I will be there. Uh, All my friends at CBHD will be there. And then, of course, we have the virtual option for people who can't travel there. Yeah, I love that. All right. So check it out. CBHD.org slash C-O-N-F, like for conference. 2023. If you want me to shoot you the direct link, just text me 877-933-2484 and I'll shoot the link right back to you. Um, All right. I want to talk about research methods, but I definitely don't want to miss this conversation or at least alerting people to the um, naming of a new butterfly species. So can we do the butterfly first? Because this is really exciting news. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so this was a cool um, article in the in the New York Times. It turns out that uh, there is a new genus of butterfly that was found predominantly in the southern Amazon rainforest. It has a dark eye-looking spot on the wings, and sometimes those wings are a orange color. So, of course, the National History Museum in London reported that scientists named the new genus after Sauron, from Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, Sauron is depicted as a big black eye with an orange background, the evil villain always looking on to on our heroes. Um, I think the key quote from that New York Times article is that you can find beauty in, even in dullness. So I think that's a, 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 neat, um, a neat depiction of finding beauty in nature and how that kind of speaks to our creator. Yeah, and I think when they say that, it's because the butterfly isn't necessarily particularly vibrant in its colors, but it is really distinctive in its markings, and um, and yeah, so really striking. All right, look for Sauron yeah. the butterfly. Um, all right, um, research methods. Let's talk about research methods, and let's talk about things that are supposed <clears throat> to be peer-reviewed, um, and whether or not we should be trusting non-peer-reviewed research quote-unquote findings, even when they're published in reputable places. Yeah, so this is an important topic to me. Um, I'm a science writer, and so it's really important that we have discernment when reading scientific papers and also looking at how those papers are reported in the media. Um, and just just as a caveat, we don't all necessarily just want to throw something out because the scientific establishment agrees with it because there are times when they're right or wrong. 
and we don't want to be cognitively lazy, just like we don't like it when they throw things out, when a publication will throw something out because a Christian wrote it, right? We want to we want to be discerning about it. So two places where we need to be especially discerning when we look at stuff that is published in peer-reviewed scientific journals is if it's a hot topic or if it's a politically hot button issue. So hot topic mm-hmm. like nanotechnology in the early 2000s or AI now, artificial intelligence now. So those, those tend to get reported on more. They tend to be accepted a little more easily in journals with maybe a little less review because they're just a hot topic and these journals are businesses and they want to, they want to increase their readership. So of course they're gonna publish on these hot topics. Um, the other thing is politically hot button issues like things like climate change or what the industry calls gender affirming care. So people have agendas, agendas and biases, and often these journal editors will cater to those biases, particularly if it kind of ingratiates them with the people who pay for subscriptions. So, and then some of that's the nature of business, but we need to really be discerning about these things because it comes across as objective science when really sometimes these things are accepted before peer reviewers have evaluated the data or sometimes, you know, there's also some political wrangling that goes on with peer review and citations and that kind of thing. Um, let me give you, I can give you an example. So um, climate change is a good example. So there's the idea of climate change. The climate is changing. That's what climates do. We have cycles of warming and cooling. So climate change isn't necessarily the controversy there. The causes of climate change or the fact that there might be, um, you know, industrialization and greenhouse gases might make those cycles and changes more pronounced, more exaggerated. Those are the things that are controversial. A lot of times those will be presented as if this isn't controversial in the media or the um, peer review process will push through articles that only say that that have a certain agenda to them about say industrialization and greenhouse gases. Another good example is puberty blockers in adolescence, using puberty blockers with adolescents. Um, Normally in Western medicine, we are really big on evidence-based medicine and yet there is, there are very few studies um, and not good evidence showing safety and efficacy of uh, puberty block, using puberty blockers in children. And yet this is presented a certain way. This is even um, published without, without good, uh, pure, without looking at the data. And there's been a couple of times where things have been published where the data says one thing and then the author's conclusion is the opposite. So we wanna have discernment when we're looking at those particular types of topics, whatever is the political hot button topic of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking here about um, even conversations today related to mifepristone and the process that was used to approve it. And I mean, depending on who you're reading, um, one, you know, one group of people says one thing about that process and another says another thing. And you're like, I mean, it it is hard sometimes to um, sift through all of that and actually uh, know the truth of the matter. So Thank you um, for helping us evaluate what we're reading and what we're hearing and, and for bringing us um, fun, good news stories like the mammoth tooth yeah. and a, and a planet eating star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All kinds of things. And butterflies. We love it. Heather Zeiger. You guys can uh, check out what Heather is working on and direct and connect with her directly at heatherzeiger.com. Again, 
Check out the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity and their upcoming conference, cbhd.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Dan Darling's going to join us next. He actually does have a children's book that you can trust. The biggest, best light shining God's love into the world around you since we're on the topic of children's books. But he's going to join us today to talk about, uh, I don't know, an all grown up book. We ought to be able to talk to each other. We ought to be able to talk with one another, even across our differences and do so in good faith. And we ought to be able to work together for the common good. We're going to talk about that in terms of the church and our witness in the world as Christians. Um, But it also ought to be happening in Washington, D.C. So let's be praying for the president and the leaders of Congress in the current standoff over the federal debt ceiling. Let's be praying that, you know, they could have some mutual humility and together they could find a way for us to avoid default Um, because that would be a bad thing. Um, Dan Darling joins us next, and we're going to talk about agents of grace, how to bring, how how to bridge, excuse me, divides and love as Jesus loved. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Daniel Darling uh, is an award-winning writer, best-selling author of 15 books. He hosts a weekly podcast, The Way Home, leads the Land Center for Cultural Engagement in Dallas, and an actual friend. Daniel, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. It's great to be here with you, and uh, thanks for having me on this morning. Yeah, so the new book is Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved, Um, You and I both know, I mean, in reality, we are, as Christians, one in the Spirit, one in the Lord, one body, one family, one household, one people. We are indivisible, and yet we're so divided. So um, why are we so divided as Christians? Well, I think we're we're in the um, moment where, you know, really the world is divided and our country is divided. We're in, as uh, Mark Sayers says, we're in this sort of gray zone a uh, very disruptive time where we have the digital revolution. It's never been easier to communicate, never been easier to be published. Uh, the digital revolution and all that, that sort of um, upends and creates. And then we just went through a global pandemic. There's a lot of things going on in the world. So, uh, you know, almost every institution in American life is is uh, riven by uh, fractures and fissures. There, our institutions are... Um, are really trying to hold it together. And the church is experiencing some of those same things. Um, unfortunately, you know, we we should actually be demonstrating to the world what it looks like uh, to be united. You know, Francis Schaeffer said that um, God has given the world the right to judge the validity of our faith by the way that we love each other. And so this mm. really, this book is kind of a call for us to, to discover what is Christian unity, what does it look like to love each other, what are the good and important fights, and what are the things that Christians disagree on, but we should be open-handed toward each other about. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think, you know, there are people who just think Jesus is sort of like so smushy that he, you know, unifies everything and everyone, um, but he's also the great divider. And so there are things that 
maybe should divide us um, and things that should not, like what are those and how can we know the difference? Well, you know, it's interesting. Paul says to Timothy, he says two things. He says, on the one hand, fight the good fight, uh, Mm -hmm. so stand firm in the faith. On the other hand, he says, uh, avoid frivolous, you know, arguments and conversations. Jude would say that we should contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. So there are actually good fights. There's a body of truth that's been handed down to us from uh, the apostles, from from Scripture, from God, uh, through the Spirit that um, that Christians have believed for two thousand years. These are things that we really don't have the right to change or to edit or to to update. Um, there, it's uh, what we would call Christian orthodoxy. It's beautiful. It uh, tells us about who God is and who we are. Um, and th- those are things for which we must fight. Then there's a lot of things that Christians um, have disagreed about for 2,000 years. There's even things that Christians even who agree on most of those things might disagree on in terms of how to work out uh, things uh, in your lives. And I think it's important to have opinions on those things, uh, but not make them ultimate. And so I think decide distinguishing between what is worth really going to the mat for and what are the things that are worth being open-handed about. When we um, spend all of our energy on what, what the scriptures call frivolous things, we actually take away energy and time and resources from upholding and proclaiming and defending those good things, the, the good fights. Yeah, I heard somebody say once, if it's not genuinely representative of the hill Jesus died on, it's not a hill you should go and die on today. <laughs> I mean, if it's not, if it's not like, yeah, if, if some genuine point of orthodoxy is not at risk, then it may fall into the frivolous category um, and be that from which I should walk away. It doesn't mean it's not important, but Mm -hmm. it's not essential. Maybe is that a, a way of seeing that dividing line? Yeah, it really is. And, and, you know, some, um, folks, I think Al Mohler, uh, Dr. Mohler was the one that first coined the term. It's not a new idea, but it's kind of a newish term, theological triage. I mean, Christians have been doing this for, again, mm. for all of church history and trying to distinguish what are first order, second order, third order items, what what is primary, what is secondary, what is tertiary, and really understanding those. And I think a simple way of explaining that is, you know, there's Christian orthodoxy, things like the Trinity and the uh, the um, uh, exclusivity of Christ and, and the virgin birth and that set of doctrines that is primary that you must believe to be a Christian. Um, there's secondary things over which maybe denominations divide and how we organize our churches differently. Uh, I'm a convictional Baptist. I have a lot of good friends who are Presbyterians. We agree on so much, but we disagree on th- on that and we organize differently and that's okay. That's really healthy and good. We learn from each other. And then there's there's tertiary issues, Carmen, where even people in the same congregation, people who agree on even some of the secondary issues, might disagree. Like, how do we educate our kids, or how exactly do we exercise our um, the stewardship of our of our citizenship, or you know how how old the earth exactly is, or what exactly is going to happen at the end of days? You know, those are things that. Uh, we should have firm opinions on. We might even think someone who disagrees with us is wrong, but we could be open-handed and fellowship with them and and do ministry with them because those are things are not primary. And I, I'm afraid that sometimes we let some of the really tertiary things, even like how you handle COVID or some of these other things, divide us. And, and I know friends, um, Carmen, that 
agree on almost 80% of things. I mean, on the Venn diagram, they just overlap and yet they don't speak to each other because in the last few years, some of these things that have come up in the culture, uh, they have gotten at, at odds with each other and they don't speak. And I think that's really um, sad. Yeah. And that it, it speaks to um, our inability to have complex relationships. I mean, I don't know about mm. you, Dan, but like I, I have a lot of really complex relationships. Um, people aren't flat relationships aren't flat um you know i'm i'm not looking to to imagine that everyone in the world is going to think walk talk and act like i do like right variety is good there is this mm. diversity that's necessary and beautiful um which gets us to the conversation and i love the way that you approach this in the book this this large conversation about unity um but mm. not uniformity again we're talking with daniel darling the book is Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. And so we're going to get to the how how to contend for the faith once delivered, um, to fight in ways that honor Jesus. Um, but let's talk about unity versus uniformity. Can you differentiate those for us? I love the way you frame that because that's exactly what it is. You know, uh, I think of the the scripture in Romans twelve two: be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the world and the and the devil offer conformity. You know, can be conformed to this one way of thinking. What Christ offers is transformation. And Christian unity is not sameness. It's not all of mm -hmm. us with the same haircut and the same preferences and the same things. That's cultish, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the way the body of Christ is described in Scripture of all these parts fitting together, these diverse parts fitting together, or even in Revelation 5 and 7 where you have people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathering around the throne. It's this beautiful mosaic of, of God's uh, teeming creation uh, coming together in this way. And this is how we should think of the church, that uh, I, I think a lot of people roll their eyes at the idea of Christian unity because I think it's you know some weird thing where we're standing around a fire, holding hands, singing Kumbaya, and we're all the same. No, actually, unity is is an intentional work. It says, uh, Ephesians says, to make every effort to preserve unity in the bond of peace. It's it's loving people, even though you disagree strongly. It's um, willingness to work with someone. It's willingness to say, man, this Christian brother, on this one topic or these two topics, I think he's out the lunch. I think he's a little bit crazy, but I love him and I love his heart. And I love on the on the main things we agree and we're going to work together. It doesn't mean everyone is your best friend, but it's it's the unwillingness to divide, to attack, to um, to distance ourselves from other Christians, even though there's things about them we don't like or we disagree with. And sometimes we're that person, right? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I can think of a handful of people who probably don't do things the way I would do it that annoy me and with the way that they engage things. But if Christ loves the church like he says he does in scripture, then uh, and we're his bride, he loves them like he loves me. And so we need to try to practice that kind of love. Jesus said, uh, love one another as I have commanded you, as I've loved you. We're going to talk with um, Dan after a very brief break about what, what does that heart of love look like? We're going to talk about like the how to of all of this. But um, if you're, if you're a person who has been hurt by the church and you're really in danger of becoming cynical, maybe you've already become cynical about the people of God and the gathering together and You've really brushed the church off. 
um, we want to invite you to stick around and um, consider having a reignited passion about Christ and the Christian faith and, yes, the Bride of Christ, the Church. So we're going to continue our conversation with Daniel Darling. Agents of Grace is the book, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. In Agents of Grace, Daniel Darling explores practical ways that we can follow the Bible's command to strive actively for peace, even in a painfully divided time, in a painfully divided country and church and world. It's a personal look. He's going to help us climb out of cynicism. Um which is, I think, the real danger and trap here, Dan. Um, There are people who have been deeply hurt by people in the church. And so then the church gets maligned. Like, right, I've been hurt by the church. Well, actually, you've been hurt by a person or people in the church. But there's a danger. There's a real danger of becoming cynical um, about the people of God and then ultimately about God, so can you just invite us back into this conversation, um, particularly to the person who's listening right now who has been deeply wounded by someone in the church? Look, I mean, I, I've been hurt by Christians. I've been hurt by the church. I've I've had two, you know, major betrayals in my life that I talk about in the book and um, had to work through those. And God uh, has um, given me the ability to to forgive but it's hurt and it's painful, and I don't think we should gloss over the fact that Christians hurt Christians at times. Sometimes we're hurt by institutions, Christian institutions. We're hurt by churches. Uh, there's probably people listening who have experienced that. Um, I, I think, you know, if we're not careful, we can become cynical about the church. Uh, we we live in an age where we see scandals and um, headlines every day of of malfeasance in the church, a leader falling, an institution failing. And if we're not careful, we can become sort of catechized uh, by negative headlines about the church. But you know what doesn't make headlines is faithfulness. A, a pastor who is in his church for 25 years, uh, uh, you know, young Christians who sell everything and go overseas to help refugees, you know, uh, people, Christians who are meeting human needs in their community with little or no fanfare. Those things don't make the headlines. If we're not careful, we'll assume that the only thing that is going on is the church is the problem and the mess and the scandal. Look, we have scandals. We have issues. We have a, we have a, um, a mess in our own house that we have to clean up. But if we're not careful, we'll convince ourselves that maybe that even God's best days are behind him, that he's he's not actively 
uh, working to seek and save the lost, that the Holy Spirit is not regenerating hearts today, that Jesus no longer saves it. Maybe that happened in a previous era with Billy Graham, or maybe that happened in some other golden time, but it's not happening today. And the truth is, that's just not true. You know, actually, more people are coming to faith in Christ today than at any time in human history. Um, we just have to look up and see what God is doing in our communities, in our churches, in our in our country. Uh, I, I think, Carmen, about the Jesus movement. I, I just saw the, the movie. And, you know, the 70s, 60s and 70s were a time of great distress at Woodstock. And you had the sexual revolution. You had Watergate. You had assassinations. You had so much... Um, uh, people had wondered, you know, what is going on in the world? Nobody saw the Jesus movement coming, and here God was breathing this new work and doing this new thing. And so I had, I think we have to look up and see what is God doing in the world. Um, I don't think cynicism is a spiritual gift. I think we should be discerning, but cynicism is um, almost kind of lazy. It's it's the unwillingness to discern between what is good and uh, between what is good and bad. To, to find the true and the beautiful. It's it's just thinking everything is is bad, everything is terrible, and that God is not at work. And and I think we have to resist that. We really do that. We have to see where God is working in the world, see what God is doing in lives, see where he's changing people, see where people are coming to faith in Christ, see the good that he's doing. And we have to fight for joy. Uh, if we don't do that, um, we'll be cynical. I, I think cynical cynicism is almost a cottage industry, Carmen, even among evangelicals. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if, no, totally. if you're, if yeah. you're in my conversations, if I talk about some terrible thing that happened, I get, I get a good conversation. My, you know, I could tweet something and it'll go viral if it's, if it's negative. If I say something positive, it doesn't get as much attention. You know, cynicism has become a cottage industry. And I think we have to resist that. Yeah. It verges on gossip. I mean, a lot of times, like, right, it just, it just does. Um, my mm. sister calls them pepper pickers. So mm. she's, you like know, that. she, yeah, she is um, very resistant to the pepper pickers. And she's like, there's just all these people out there picking pepper. They're supposed to be shaking salt and they're picking pepper. So anyway, there you go. I'll just, you can. I love that. You'll now, you'll now that. see them everywhere, by the way. You will, you will see yes. the pepper pickers everywhere. And, yeah. and, and you can just say that in your mind. You're like, mm-hmm, there's a pepper picker and I am going to shake some salt on that. Um, let's talk about um, doing it the way Jesus would do it. Let's talk about the how, the spirit of all of this. Um because that's really the heart of what you're talking about. So what does a heart of love look like? Or um, or what does it look like to like be a person that's possessed in this way, that I am actually an agent of grace? Well, you know, Carmen, I can't change the worldwide church, and I can't change, you know, all that stuff that's out there, but I can control what I do. And how can I, how can I be a bridge builder? Something that we should all ask ourselves. How can I love the way Jesus has commanded stuff? You know, Jesus command to love one another. is not the sort of suggestion or kind of a thing we, we should do if we can get to it. But he says, uh, this, I command you love one another as I have loved you. And uh, we know what love requires because we've seen it uh, displayed by Jesus. Uh, we see it in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, which, by the way, is a very contentious book. Paul is maybe writing his his letter with the most rebuke to a church that has really um, fallen into sin. And in the midst of these harsh rebukes and these contentious debates about a lot of these topics, he has this whole discourse on what love is, as if to say, guys, in the midst of this, we have to love each other. And one of the things that love requires uh, that strikes me 
Paul says, love believes all things. In other words, love gives the benefit of the doubt to brothers and sisters in Christ. doesn't mean we're naive. doesn't mean we overlook sin. doesn't mean we paper over scandal. But it's it's giving the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's saying that we're, I'm not going to assume that someone I disagree with or someone that does something I wouldn't do is coming to it from a place of malice. It's, it's the willingness to love. It's willingness to hang on to our friendships. You know, our friendships are so tested in this age where there's so many things wanting to pull us apart and be willing to say, I have this person over here that I disagree with on this, uh, but I'm going to hang on to this friendship. And I have this person over here and I'm going to hang on to this friendship. You know, Carmen, I have friends on all sides and one friend can't believe I'm friends with the other friend and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I'm having to say, you know, I, I, I love this person. I don't, I don't land where they land all the time on the, in this, but this is a person that is, that God has called me to love. And I think those are the things we have to do to hang on to our friendships um, in these very tumultuous times and, and to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to love people who um, are hard to love sometimes. And sometimes we're the hard person to love, if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're the crazy uncle. Sometimes we're the person that someone has to explain being friends with. And I think we need to think through that. I, I am totally the person that people have to explain being friends with. There's just no question about that ever in my mind. I'm like, anytime I get invited to anything, I'm like, this person took a risk. Like, that that was a risk. <laughs> they totally, they invited me to that. They totally took a risk. Maybe they knew it. Maybe they didn't. But yeah, I... I, I am that person, Dan. Um, hey, brother, thank you so much um, for all that you do and the way that you do it. Uh, I feel like that's what Agents of Grace is really highlighting as well, how to bridge divides and love as Jesus loved. Uh, Daniel Darling, you can um, you can visit with him directly online, danieldarling.com. That's a great place to find the book as well. Agents of Grace. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. It's a blessing to be with you and thankful for your ministry. It's always so wonderful to hear your voice. That's Daniel Darling. Check him out, danieldarling.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, there's a lot going on out there in the world that God so loves. Um, Every direction that you turn today, um, there's a need. There's an opportunity to be praying over and into the lives of hurting people. And so as we go forth into the world that God so loves, and we live out our faith in obedience to Christ and in the unity of the Spirit and with the bond of peace, striving together um, to advance the gospel in this generation, always and in all ways, I just want you to remember who you are. Like you're a child of God, you're beloved, you are um, an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, you're a minister of reconciliation, you are an agent of grace, you are a member of the household of faith and the body of Christ, you have unique giftings. God has prepared in advance good works for you to do today. This I know. The Bible tells us so. God has prepared in advance good works for you to do today. And so as you um, set yourself toward those tasks and toward that labor, let's all remember we're striving together as one in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Under the Lordship of the Prince of Peace, even Jesus the Christ. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.